Window Nation has a great deal for you, but it's only good through the end of December. I know you got other things on your mind, but you got to be thinking about energy prices going up because it is going to get cold. It started to get cold again this week. It's going to get even colder, and energy prices, energy bills are going up. For December only, you can get 50% off all-style windows and a house of windows for only $99 a month when you call Window Nation today. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, what the Ravens did yesterday. Talk a little bit more about some of their aggressiveness joining us now. Always appreciate Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders taking some time for us. Aaron, it's Glenn and Paul here in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you as always, my friend. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Hey, as always, thank you for having me on the show. I mean, it's a fascinating time right now because there is so there are so many levels to what's going on with the Baltimore Ravens, and it's so easy for us to say, like, hell, they're playing with half of an NFL roster. Like, th- this is amazing that they're even in some of these games. But, Aaron, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised. The biggest thing that's jumping out right now to everyone is the aggressiveness and decision-making and much sort of like uh, some of the conversation that exists with the Chargers at the moment. Um, there are accusations of John Harbaugh making this sort of like the wild, wild west right now with some of the things that he's doing. What have you made of the way that John Harbaugh has gone about making some decisions in recent weeks, going for two at the end of games, going for two early a week ago in the fourth quarter to make it a, a try to make it a seven point game? What have you made of the general aggressiveness that you've seen from John Harbaugh? Well, I think you have to differentiate between some of the – not all two-point decisions are made the same. Um, The idea of going for two earlier in the game when you're down by nine, for example, the idea of that is a different explanation. The the explanation behind that is that you want to have all the information as early as possible. You don't want to get to the end of the game and be losing by two and have a two-point conversion and fail. Yep, And you don't get any chance to get the ball back. You would rather fail earlier, and then you know, do I need two possessions in order to win this game? What happened over the two games in the last three weeks where he went for two at the end, I think is much less of an analytics decision and much more of a gut decision. Uh, he just felt that his defense was wrecked uh, against the Steelers uh, two weeks ago, right? Marlon Humphrey had gone out. And he felt like he just had no cornerbacks left. And then uh, yesterday, obviously, you're playing Aaron Rodgers. And you've had injuries in your secondary. And he just felt like his defense could not hold up. So we're going to try to win the game right here rather than going to overtime. And the funny thing is, analytics actually suggests that yesterday may have been a mistake. Because the problem is, if you go up by one, you give Aaron Rodgers the ball back right. with 40 seconds left and right. a reason to play aggressively, whereas if you tie the game, you give Aaron Rodgers the ball back with 40 seconds left but a reason to play conservatively. Right. But I don't think these decisions had to do with analytics, the, the end-of-the-game decisions. I think they were gut decisions about the state of the Baltimore Ravens' defense. I, I completely agree, by the way, on, on both accounts with what you said there, Aaron. And I, you know... The other thing, and I know you addressed this on Twitter yesterday, the other element of this entire conversation is if, if there's something to criticize for me, I, 
it's hard for me to criticize the play at the end of the game because I'm with you. I actually don't think it matters much. I think even if you kick the extra point, the most likely scenario is it's that defense against Aaron Rodgers who's likely to try. And while, yes, you got a three and out the last time, it's because they started running the ball um, and and, and it, it played right into the one thing the Ravens are still capable of doing defensively. I, I just don't see any world in which the Packers aren't going down and winning the game. But the real question is, why in the world did you not go for two when you were down 14 and scored a touchdown? I, I, I felt like the entire community of, of the, the – I hate, I hate just throwing out the term analytics because we've kind of made it a, a, a term that just covers so many things that are – it's such a more broad concept. It seems like there is a general consensus that giving yourself two chances, two opportunities, and a backup plan – a la what you were talking about from a week ago, makes a lot more sense than allowing this all to come down to potentially what happens on one two-point conversion in the final minutes. Yeah, I mean, the reason why you go for two earlier is so if you get the first two, then all you need is an extra point and you've won the game on the second touchdown. But if you fail the earlier two, then you still have a chance to tie it with another two. So that is the real analytics choice. And that is the surprise, because Harbaugh understands how that works. And from what I gather, nobody asked him that in the postgame press conference. Right. Why did you not go for two after the touch when you were down eight, after the touchdown that put it down eight? That would have been, that would have been the smarter move. Uh, perhaps he felt like he really only had one two-point play that would work, and he felt he needed to keep it till the end. I still would have used it earlier, but... Um, you know, there are a lot of variables in these decisions. And even analytics people don't believe that you make these decisions based solely on analytics. You have to consider other factors that aren't being considered in the models. And the state of your defense is a factor. And the, the quarterback on the other side is a factor. Do you feel as though there were two other decisions they went, they, they failed on fourth down during the course of the game yesterday. There was the one where they were backed up. In the fourth quarter, fairly deep in their own territory than the one on the first drive of the game where it was fourth and goal from the three, and actually they'd already converted a fourth down on that drive. Um, they were at fourth and goal from their three, and they failed on both. But I, I, in, in a weird way, Aaron, like even those decisions to me, the field position thing felt relevant both times, right? It felt like, hey, from, from your own three, that's actually a – I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable gamble to take, even if I don't love where they are short yardage at the moment because they don't really have a running back. Um, I, I don't know, it's a reasonable gamble to take to, to put yourself or 97 yards. If you're going to have to defend Aaron Rodgers, you'd probably rather defend him on 97 yards than you would you know, 60 or something along those lines. And in the fourth quarter, the, the one thing that seemed to be a problem would be giving the Packers the ball back with a chance to go 70 yards and bleed eight minutes off the clock. Like, if you're going to give them the ball back, hell, you might as well give them the ball back at the 25 and just say, either we're allowing a field goal or we're not. This is what it's all going to come down to. I, I, it was hard for me to get all that worked up about either of those decisions either. Here's one of the reasons why, especially early in games, you go for it at the goal line. If you fail, you have pinned the other team to the goal line. And you will probably get the ball back in good field position and get another chance to score. Right. And that is exactly what happened. Yep. Huntley gets sacked. Packers get the ball back. Packers go three and out. Ravens get the ball back at the 45 of the Packers because the Packers' special teams suck. <laughs> and, the pa and the Ravens go down and score the first touchdown of the game. Like, it worked exactly the way it's supposed to. If you fail... 
The advantage is you pinned them deep, and it worked for the Ravens yesterday. I, and again, I get it. It's difficult to say, assume that you're going to do that given what you were working with defensively, but 97 yards is a long way. Goofy things can happen in 97 yards, even if your defense isn't all that good or you're playing with you know, an, an XFL-level secondary, which the Ravens were yesterday because of everything that they were going through. Um, you, you know, Aaron, we bring up a point, which is that some of these decisions are analytics-based. Some are just sort of based on the, the team as a whole. At some point... It, people would point out you're not two of eight on two-point conversion tries for the season. And I think a lot of the, the math that we've done over the years about two-point conversions, for example, the 14-point the situation, it's easy to have this conversation because we've said, hey, it's, it's a 50-50 or maybe slightly better proposition that you're going to get a two-point conversion. So if you end up getting two cracks, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get one of them to go. At any point, does your lack of success – on two-point conversions, I guess it's the old coin flip thing, right? Like a coin flip is always 50-50, so even if you flip heads 40 straight times, the next time it's still supposed to be 50-50, right? Does that right. does that change at all if you're struggling with two-point conversion attempts? Uh, I don't think of two of eight as struggling. Um, if they were 20 of 80, you know, I mean, then, yeah, they're struggling. But, I mean – I feel like that's such a small sample size. Two of eight doesn't tell you very much about what's going to happen on the next two-point conversion. I, you know, I would look more at how they do on third and one and third and two in general, not just at the goal line. And my guess is that in those situations, they're just average. Yeah. In which case, you know, and, and those are that's a larger sample size if you look at that rather than just two-point conversion. So two of eight doesn't worry me. I don't even think zero of eight would worry me. It's just too small a sample size. Okay, that's that's. I mean, that's completely fair. I I think that it more and you bring up the goal line thing. I, we're talking with Aaron Chance from Football Outsiders. I I had, do have a concern as a whole that you're limited because th- there's just really no threat to run with this football team right now, right? Other well, there than, is for, there is with the with the quarterbacks, right? Yeah, that, and that's fair. The quarterbacks are a threat to run, and and, and that should in, inherently that should give you an advantage, right? Like it should make you more capable in short yardage situations because of the threat to the run from the from the quarterbacks. But it seems like teams have designed defenses to contain the quarterbacks because they feel no threat of what the running backs might be doing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think that the running back situation is as bad as we think it is. I mean, the fact is that most research has shown that running backs, there's not that big a difference between running backs, And it's not like the running backs that the Ravens had originally. It wasn't Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. Uh, I definitely think early in the season you had these guys who just come in and they didn't necessarily know the offense that well, but that's not an issue at this point. They've been there for three and a half months. Uh, The offensive line is an issue, obviously. I mean, I think that the running game is more powered by the offensive line than by the running backs. But I wouldn't say that there's no threat of the Ravens running at all. There's still a threat of the Ravens running with running backs as well as quarterbacks. What do you make of the job that – this is a completely different – we're to go- again, as I said at the start, Aaron, this is a goofy conversation to be having because the Ravens played yesterday with, as we pointed out, an XFL-level secondary, a backup quarterback. I mean, they've, they've just been through in such an ungodly run, 17 players in IR, all of the COVID issues, the whole thing, and yet here they were. I believe with it. it's called The Ringer. Yes, the, there you go. Yes, right? Uh, a a shout-out to Bill Simmons, I guess. Uh, we would call it The Ringer. Um, 
and yet you still you feel some sort of need to judge what's actually happening. Otherwise, why do I have a job if I'm not, right? Like, you still have to judge the games that are being played. And I feel like a lot of this has been taken out on Greg Roman specifically. I, ironic that you bring up the ringer. Steven Ruiz wrote this piece sort of going after Greg Roman last week for them, and I thought that was more than a bit unfair because it didn't even address all of the injury issues. Um, and, and I don't know. Like, I, I'm in a weird place with Greg our, Roman. Our own, our own Derek. Classen, who writes our film room column, also wrote a piece a couple weeks ago. Okay, going after I, I don't know how so, I, I don't know how I missed that one. I'm mean, gonna have to go back. I apologize, Aaron. I'll go back and check that out. I, I'm in a weird. So I, I understand the criticisms of Greg Roman for this offense, and more in particular the passing game. That the passing game has stagnated so much because that's the one place they haven't really had injuries, other than the quarterback for the last couple weeks, right? Whatever week eleven, um, the receivers have been healthy they, they, they didn't have Bateman for the first couple of weeks but right Mar- Marquise Brown has been healthy and Mark Andrews has been healthy and um and the and, and the offense the, the pass offense has stagnated right like the improvements we want to see from Lamar Jackson as a passer just haven't happened and I think that both Steven Ruiz and Derek Klassen make good points in their articles for why Greg Roman's offense can be blamed for the stagnation in the off in the passing offense, so I, I you know I think those criticisms are valid. Okay, so let, let me let me let me let me unpack that slightly, if I could, with you, Aaron. Um, I, I think that Greg Roman is always you know this is who he is, right? Like this is there's no, it, it if you hire Greg Roman thinking that you're going to get an elaborate pass offense, probably is not going to be the case. And I think the Ravens at some point are going to have to make a decision about what kind of offense they want to have. I, this is where the running back thing is difficult to me, and I, I, I sort of hear what you're saying, but it's really hard to ignore the numbers. I mean, they don't have a back that's averaged 40 yards a game this season, and they're not, when they even get space to the outside, there's no explosiveness at all with these guys. These guys can't do anything in an open field at this point. Um, I'm really struggling with judging Greg Roman, knowing this is what he does given how impossible it's been for the Ravens to do the things that he does. Um, I, I, and, I, and I think it's two different conversations, because I do think there's a fair conversation about what you want to be as an offense, and you know, do you want to be a free-flowing, you know, a passing spread maybe, you know, something along those lines. Is that what's best for Lamar Jackson moving forward? But in judging this season and what he's been able to do, Greg Roman runs the ball. It's, it's who he is. It's in... That's why you hire Greg Roman is to run the ball a billion times. And this team just has not been able to do that this season with the horses they had. I mean, that's valid. They, uh, they are, um, you know, also missing Ronnie Stanley is a big deal. Like let's, let's be honest. No question. Right. Um, I mean, they're, they're six in our ratings running the ball six, but of course that includes Lamar Jackson on planned run, you know, on planned runs, not on scrambles. We count scrambles as pass plays, but on planned runs that includes Lamar Jackson. So, um, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard decision that they're going to have to make after this season. Do they move on from Roman or, or do they keep him? I would lean because I feel that in general, what they've tried to do by leading with the run rather than the pass is, is interesting. But the fact is, across most of the NFL, passing is more efficient than running. And you want to get the passing game working better. And I do think it's, it's about past concepts, what's stagnated. And you need to try to apply some jumper cables to this offense. 
and going in another direction with the offensive coordinator would do that. But I certainly understand the case for keeping Roman that this is not the right year to be judging him by. I understand. Well, right. And those two things I think are different, Aaron, right? Like I do, and I really do believe there is a conversation to be had about the future of the offense and, and whether or not the Greg Roman, it's just to me about this year and blaming Greg Roman for what's happening this year, which I I just think. I would more blame the injury. Right. Like that, I, and that's the only my issue, and I, I got to go back and read um, uh, Derek's piece. I, like the problem I had with Steven's piece was like you, you didn't even reference it. Like you so didn't. Har- Har- Harbaugh's done a great job this year. I oh, mean, if you consider the remarkable. That they've had, right. Harbaugh has done a really great job. Remarkable what they've done. Baltimore fans should be very happy. I, that they have one of the five best head coaches in the league, and they've had him for a long time. Uh, it's a real positive. I, I completely agree on all that. Aaron, what can I plug for you, man? You're always so kind to take time for us. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess at this point it's probably not the book, um, but there'll be another no, one no. next season. <laughs> <laughs> Although, hey, look, hey, before the season I predicted a Kansas City-Dallas Super Bowl. Okay, very much in play. Right yeah, very much in play. No question about that, man. Foot- footballoutsiders.com is the website. Check out all the content there. And then FO Plus is our subscription service, and that gets you all kinds of advanced statistics, uh, breakdowns, fantasy football research data, picks against the spread. So you definitely want to check out FO Plus, and you can get a uh, FO Plus, like a, like a test subscription for a couple of weeks to see all the data that we have. So footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to get to the FO Plus page. At F-O underscore A-Shats is how you follow him on Twitter. Aaron Schatz, really appreciate you taking the time for us, man. Thank you so much for doing it. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon, all right? Always glad to do it. Always glad to be on in Baltimore. Appreciate you, man.